0: Welcome to the Redemption Church Podcast, located in Seattle, Washington. As a church, we are a community striving to be faithfully present to God, self, and others. We hope this is an encouragement to you in your life, no matter where you are. Thanks for joining us. The holidays are upon us? Maybe. Maybe that's a good thing? I don't know. We're going to find out. Uh, originally, we had scoped this as two sermons. Because you really do, there's a lot to say about how to holiday. And then it whittled its way down into one, which is perfectly fine. So we did a lot of editing this week to figure out, like, what is the core? What do you really need to think about? What's, what's good to think about as you go into the holidays? How do you go into the holidays in such a polarized, politically charged environment? Have you started thinking about what your Thanksgiving discussions are gonna be about? Or, or what what the, the topic of conversation of the Christmas parties will be? Or, or Christmas morning or afternoon? Thinking about what that is. The, the holidays are a special time, it's a unique time. In our calendar, we're, we gather with lots of people. We get to spend time with folks, intentional time, that isn't always available in our schedules. Well, sudden the holidays are upon us. Maybe for some of you, politics isn't gonna be an issue. You all agree, you all either go right or you go left. And so, you know, you're just reiterating your talking points. But maybe for some of you, it's broken relationship. When you think about going into holidays, you think about the tension and the things that haven't been settled, things that were said years ago that are still bothering you, still unreconciled. Maybe for some of us the holidays is a reacquaintance with grief. I know I talked to a few folks this week who have lost family members around the holidays or just have lost family members in general. You don't really notice how gone they are until you sit down for dinner. And you realize that there's an empty seat at the table that you were so used to having there. And that time that you got to stop and, and reconnect with someone is no longer going to happen. It's no longer going to be possible. Some of you weren't able to gather last year at all because of COVID and, and your family didn't want to gather. That didn't feel safe at the time. And so instead of, you know, holding a little 10-pound baby, you're making out the, uh, the speech of an 18-month-old. It doesn't, it doesn't feel right. There feels like there's a loss there, too. It's hard to go in. And yet for some of us, too, going into the holidays is a time where we want to celebrate and we want to hold space for that. Some of you have had some wins last year. Maybe you've gotten a new job or you were finally able to afford a house in this city or maybe you have new life coming into your house. And this is space where it can't be all about the grief and it can't be all about what's broken in the world. You need space to be able to celebrate at the holidays and to do that with your family. How do we approach that? The reality is the holidays are different for everybody. And and rarely are you on one side of it where it's all celebration or it's all grief, but it's much more nuanced than that. It's much more nuanced than that. Expectations around the holidays are, are enhanced and the holidays can serve as a sort of magnifying glass for whatever emotions that you're feeling at the time and how those expectations come in. And often you can get overwhelmed by that. You get overwhelmed by that, and, and that causes you just to coast through the holidays. And by the time you get to January, you're exhausted, your relationships are strained, and you didn't feel like you got a good break. And you're sitting there thinking to yourself, almost like it's daylight savings time, like, why did we do this? Why did we bother to do this? It never feels good. It never feels like it did when you were a kid, and you could just gather and celebrate and enjoy the fruits of life. It doesn't feel like that. So, how do you prepare yourself to enter the holiday season intentionally? When Alex and I first started talking about this, as your pastors, we want to think about not just what is your theology, but how does that practically play out for you? How does it practically play out to go into a holiday meal or a season of celebrating? For those of us who are Christians in the room, and I assume that's the majority of you, maybe not everyone, and that's okay. But for those of you who, who follow Jesus, there's a reason that we're called disciples, right? There's a reason that Jesus went by the title rabbi, that he was a teacher, that he intended that those that would follow him would apprentice in his lifestyle. That if you wanted to understand what it was to be Christ-like, and what that might look like for you, you would follow the the markings and the lifestyle of Jesus. And so when we think as Christians, how do we approach something like this? The first place we ought to go is say, so Jesus, so God came down and he lived on this earth and he hung out for a bit and Jesus went to parties. In fact, his first miracle is at a party. In fact, his first miracle was to keep a party going. They ran out of alcohol And Jesus loves a good party. And my Savior looked upon that and said, what do they need to keep this party going? And he provides the choice wine to keep it going. Jesus knew how to party. Amen. Amen. The best one is always the one who brings the choice wine and keeps the party going. But Jesus can show us a lot. But he went to weddings. He went to feasts. He he interacted with this just like we do. So if we're going to be disciples of Jesus, if we're going to adopt his lifestyle, let's look at what he can show us. And I, we probably could have gone eight points here, but I'm going to restrict us to four because I love you and I know you're hungry and you'll want to eat lunch at some point. But let's go to four. Jesus shows us how to be present. Jesus shows us how to prepare oneself for conflict. Jesus shows us how to set boundaries and protect what matters most. And lastly, my fourth point, Jesus shows us the value of a meal. Jesus shows us the value of a meal. Let's jump first. Jesus shows us how to be present. Isaiah 53 called Jesus a man of sorrows, one who was acquainted with grief when he was acquainted with grief. So Jesus wasn't unfamiliar with what it was to live life and feel the weight and tension of things around him. There's quite a few examples that if we had to think, how do we want to talk about Jesus being present? Where where can you see that best? And you could honestly come up with countless examples in the gospel, but I actually think grief is one of the most helpful uh, to think through. Go to John 11. If you have your Bibles with you, you can do it. We'll start in verse 21 at least for this point. John 11, quick synopsis. This is Jesus at Lazarus' tomb. So some of you know this story, right? Jesus shows up a wee bit late. He could have been there and probably could have healed Lazarus. Lazarus was a good friend of his. And so are Mary and Martha, the two characters that we're going to meet here. And they, so Jesus walks into this space and they're grieving They're they're, they're struggling, and I want you to see how he approaches it. So so let's read from the scripture, verse 21. This is John 11, verse 21, if you didn't catch it. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, 'I, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who has come into the world. Briefly skip ahead to verse 32, because we're going to pick up Mary's, Mary's response. She's going to make the exact same leading statement, but I want you to see how Jesus responds. Verse 32. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. Man, just picture the grief here. She fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping, And the Jews who had come with her also weeping. He was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. I love that illustration. I want you to see two things here. Both Martha and Mary gave him the exact same leading statement. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died True, true. Jesus loved Lazarus. Jesus loved them. He would have been struck by the grief and the struggle of, of someone who was at the end of his life, and he might have done something. But he didn't. But he shows up. He talks to Martha first. She hears that he's in Bethany, roughly two miles away, and she goes out and she meets him. And what does Jesus hear from her? He hears that statement, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But she goes straight to theology, which tells you how she was processing this. She goes straight to theology. What is going to happen with Lazarus? Yeah, he'll be risen again in the end. Jesus is the Christ. He's the son of God. She can testify to all of those things. And he can hear that in the moment. What she's working out is her perspective on how she's going to work through this grief She's gonna work it through with her theology. She's gonna be reassured by the truth of who Jesus is, of what he came to do. And because she believes him, she can find relief there. But that's how she processes her grief. I want you to notice that Jesus doesn't try to take her out of that. That is where she's at, and that is where he allows her to sit. And he joins along with her. He reiterates and confirms her theology. He expands it slightly, but he's where she's at. Then he comes to to Mary, and, and look at his presence there. Jesus would have had to have known. In fact, the reason he doesn't show up for a couple of days is because he wanted to see God witnessed there. And so Jesus knows that he's going to show up here, and Lazarus is going to be raised from the dead. He knew that when he was two miles away. He knew that when he was a couple of days advanced of it. That he was going to show up. He was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And it was going to be a freaking party. It was going to be incredible. They would have broken out the wine. Our brother who we've been grieving has been raised from the dead. Jesus has acted. He's done something about death. You can imagine as harsh as the grief was. That the party was going to be that much bigger. That it was going to be exponentially bigger. But is that where Jesus is at? No. She's weeping. So you can imagine, he, he finds a seat next to her. I don't know if they're sitting on a rock or what they're doing. But he finds a seat next to her. And all the text tells us is that Jesus wept. Jesus wept. She did not need his theology. He's the best, most authoritative teacher of the scriptures we've ever had. But in his presence, he recognizes that that's not what she needs right now. She doesn't need your theology. She needs you to weep with her. She needs you to grieve with her. She needs you to be present with her. That's so important as you go into the holidays And you enter into a place where maybe you're grieving or maybe those around you are grieving. Enter into where they're at. Come alongside them. Be present, but don't force them into something, into a place where they're not quite ready to go. Jesus shows us how to be present. Jesus also shows us how to prepare for conflict. Some of you know what you're getting into this week. (laughs) or into this season. For some of you, I said earlier, a lot of broken relationships. But that's, a, that's a good way to describe your family. There's been tension that has gone over years. Miscommunications, misunderstandings that, that because they've, they've, they've not been dealt with, they, they've, they've rotted. And it's very difficult to enter into that. And you know on your way in, you know on your way in, that nerves are gonna be stepped on. Jesus knew a lot about tension. He knew a lot about conflict. In fact, he frequently dealt with religious folks. You see it all the time. Mark three says this, he looked at the religious leaders with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. And he ate with them too. What do you think that looked like? What do you think it looked like to prepare to go into that? Look at an example of how Jesus prepares himself, how he he gets his mindset ready. In Matthew three, this is covered in several of the gospels, but in Matthew three, we have his baptism, right? He's dipped into the Jordan, comes out, spirit comes down, we hear a voice from heaven. This is my son whom I love and in whom I am well pleased. And that is the mark of the start of his ministry. This is where he's gonna start is his baptism. What does he do next? What does Matthew 4 get into? He goes out for 40 days. He goes into the wilderness or the desert or the quiet place, depending on your translation. But he goes out and he gets away. And he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. And it says at the end of that, that, that he was hungry. And so most of us, when we hear hunger, we think, oh man, oh I'm hungry. That's, that's me in my weakened state. i got to get a meal. i got to get a snack. i got to do something. Forty days of it? Forty days of it? Jesus must be in horrible shape. His blood sugar must be way low. How could he possibly be in a position where he's ready to go into conflict? Because remember what he's doing. He knows that he's going to be tempted by the devil. It lets us know that right away. That he knows that this is what he's preparing himself for. So why does Jesus, um, if he knows that he's going to go face the devil, why does he weaken himself? Is that like a power play of like, you're that much stronger than we are? That like, even on your worst day, you you can get up to your A game and you can play here? Not a bit. Not a bit. I think what Jesus is doing, and those of you who have fasted for any length of time, even going up to like a week, you'll notice that you start to, it's space where you can connect with God. You actually get past the distraction of food. It's really the first few days that are rough, but then you start to sharpen. I think a proper interpretation of that text is that Jesus went in at his absolute sharpest. Jesus got time to pull away to commune with God, to prepare himself for the tension that he was stepping into. He got space, he connected with God, then he went in. And if you look at his responses with the devil, when the devil is trying to tempt him, look at his responses, he's incredibly sharp, he's incredibly pointed, he's responding in scripture, by memory, knowing exactly what it is that needs to be said in the moment. His responses are incredible. And I recognize that we're, what, 72 hours, 96 hours away from (laughs) from Thanksgiving. And so you can't put in a 40-40. You can't put in that amount of feasting and that amount of preparation for the tension that you're about to enter into. But what you can do is you can intentionally connect with God. That is the preparation that he shows us. When I go into tension, I intentionally connect with God. Look at Jesus in the garden. That's another place we could have gone. Jesus is in the garden. He's dripping blood because his anxiety is so high. Where did, what does he do with that time? He goes and he prays. He builds space. He goes, guys, would you, would you stay watch? Do you stay awake and stay on watch? I need to go spend time with my Father. When Jesus prepared to go into tension, he prepared himself by going to the Father. He prepared himself by being present to God. In other words, practice presence to yourself, practice presence to God, then practice presence to others. I think another thing this could look like, or what else this could look like, is this could look like coming to a place of forgiveness. I know for me personally, I have one of those relationships that I've attempted to reconcile, I've worked through in all kinds of different ways, and yet it still feels tense. I think they feel tense around me too. And so every year, I've recognized that we're not in a place where that relationship is gonna be fully understood and fully reconciled. But what Jesus shows us is that you can still forgive. On the cross, Jesus it says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Which means you can forgive someone who hasn't come to a place of repentance. You can forgive someone who hasn't understood that they need to say they're sorry, that they need to own something with you. You can have broken relationship and you can still have forgiveness. You can still have forgiveness. And that's just as much a ministry to yourself as it is to them. In fact, it has more to do with you, I think, than it does with them. That you can set aside the wrath, you can set aside the anger, and you can enter into the holiday in a place of gratefulness, forgiveness, and grace, centered on Jesus. Spend as much time polishing your time with Jesus as you would your talking points your political talking points this week, figuring out how you're gonna talk about COVID or what the Biden administration is gonna do or what Donald Trump may or may not do in 2024 or what the proper mask mandates ought to be or the COVID policies or whatever else. Spend as much time preparing with God as you're doing preparing for those conversations. Third point, I'll try to move quickly. Jesus shows us how to set boundaries. Jesus shows us how to set boundaries to protect what matters most. Resentment ultimately comes from broken boundaries. Resentment comes from broken boundaries. When you feel the tension in the room, it generally is coming from boundaries, whether they've been spoken or not, but, but you feel someone encroaching on that. You feel someone coming in Often it's not the confrontational side of your family that will break your boundaries the most. It's the really soft, non-confrontational, uh, easygoing, caring folks that sometimes push on those boundaries and you're not quite sure what it looks like to push back, how to establish those for yourself. Read the Gospels. Jesus set boundaries all the time. All the time. He lived a balanced An unhurried life. If you go to Luke 5, you'll see that he withdrew from crowds to go get time with his father. I mentioned him in the garden earlier, right? What did he need right there? He needed space, and so he created boundary to get what it is that he needed. Herod asks him for a sign, and he refuses to show him one. Jesus had a boundary there in Luke 23. He goes into the temple in Matthew 21. And I think in Mark 11, you can check my reference. And he cleans out the temple from all the money changers and all the people that were abusing the poor, that were taking advantage of them. There's countless others. But Jesus protected himself, he protected his time, and he protected those around him. Think about this week. What are boundaries that I need to establish with my family? Not, not, in, a, not in an unloving way but just recognizing what is it that I need in this space? What is it that would allow me to, um, to, to lessen tension or, 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 to, or, or to be able to come in um, without resentment? That there'd be more peace at your holidays with boundaries present. Last point. Jesus shows us the value of a meal. Jesus shows us the value of a meal. I want to read really quick from Luke 5. If you have your Bibles, it's verse twenty-seven, but I'll read it quickly—just a couple of verses. It said after after this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, "Follow me." And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors, got them all, and, re- and others that were reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? The, the Pharisees weren't wrong. Jesus was known to associate with rough company. In fact, he gets accused of being an alcoholic and a glutton, a drunkard, fairly often because Jesus could party to the glory of God. But Jesus is hanging out with the poor neighborhood payday loan guys Abusing the poor. What the tax collectors would do, if you don't recall, you're you're in a Roman-occupied territory, and so you have these Jewish tax collectors that would be hired by the Romans to collect the taxes. But what they would do is they would they would try to get a bit on top of that, and that's where their profit came in. So not only are they collaborating with an occupying with a foreign occupying power, but they're shaving a bit off the top. They're making the tax code confusing and they're taking more from it than what you actually owe. These were not not people that you wanted to associate with. And yet Jesus is willing to have them at the table. Jesus is willing to have them in. Later in Luke 14, he dines with the, the Pharisees themselves, not as socially controversial, but again, the tension would have been thick. The sign of acceptance was the meal, not an acceptance of your behavior but a recognition of your imago Day, of who you are as a person. The, the English word that we get, companion, comes from two Latin phrases. "cum," which means uh, to be together, and pani, which means bread. To have a companion, to have a meal, is to come together with bread. It's, it's, it's to, what Jesus recognizes, what we've recognized for centuries since, is that when you have a meal with someone, you grow relationship. You grow relationship. The Bible has meals throughout. The first recorded words of God to Adam in the garden were an invitation to eat. The first sin, it's over a meal. Jesus' last real intentional moment with his disciples where he could really pour into them, it's over a meal. You see it throughout. You see it throughout. Meals are where you share, where you catch up on your day or how life is going. It's where you tell stories, you share news, you go deeper with one another. You go deeper over food. It's different than, than a casual exchange in the hallway. Even back here at church, I mean, I can run into you in a hallway, it's a whole different thing if we sit down for an hour. When you go out on a romantic date, there's a reason you, you get a meal if you know what's good for you. <laughs> you get a good meal. But you get a meal because it's, it's that chance to connect, to go deep. It's that chance to connect, to go deep. Jesus shows us the value of a good meal. He's all about cutting through tension He's all about cutting through broken boundaries of past sin, and getting down to relationship. You didn't earn his love. You didn't earn his love, but he offers it. And you didn't belong at his table, not without his doing, not without his doing, but his invitation is a seat at the table, right? His invitation is a seat at the table. It's an offer to be fully known and fully loved in relationship and, and to learn and be transformed as a disciple of his. In the gospel, Jesus invites you to a meal. Look at Revelation 19.9. It says this. This is talking about the... In the end, this is how we end up. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. So as you prepare for the holidays, and I'll close on that. As you prepare for the holidays, regardless of who is at your table, remember that Jesus has offered you a place at his table. You didn't belong there. You were in conflict, you were in rebellion, you were separated from him and yet he offered you a space. And he offers you a meal. He offers you a meal to come in and to be in relationship with him. Blessed are those who receive that invitation.